welcome to the Naked Ambition podcast, where we speak with the people who are making an impact in tech, innovation, and design all over the world. This show is brought to you by the team at Naked Ambition. We are a design-led innovation company, partnering with some of the world's smartest companies to help them solve complex challenges and design new futures. I'm your host, Fiona Triarca. Hi, everyone, and thanks to those of you who've tuned in live. Um, This is, of course, the Naked Ambition podcast, where we speak with the people who are making an impact in design, innovation, and leadership all around the world. Now, I'm absolutely thrilled today to have Catherine Hills on the show. Welcome, Kath. Thanks, Fiona. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking me. Yeah. So, I mean, in the spirit of the day, it's Are You Okay Day, as people are probably seeing out there on LinkedIn, everyone's blasting it out. How are you doing today, Kath? Doing okay, Fee. I think that, you know, Melbourne's going through a few situations that many people in the world have been experiencing with our lockdowns and um, homeschooling. So, definitely traversing that challenge and um, actually having a pretty okay time. Um, enjoying reading, um, spending a lot of time travelling through music, geography, <laughs> geographic um, travelling, I think, just through different kinds of music styles and getting that fix for travel and also sharing that with my family um, and sort of having that kind of exchange at home, which is lovely, but definitely finding um, that we do have extra accountabilities as parents at the moment with kids. How are you going? Oh, you've just you've just hit on my sore spot there. With the <laughs> I'm just like I was having a comment for like, when are they going back to school? Um, you know, I think like yeah. so many parents there, I think we're, you know, we're staying strong and the team are all doing an amazing job and, you know, trying from our perspective, just trying to put some good content out there and some things to sort of inspire people and cheer them up. Um, but on a personal, yeah, I've you know, I just I really want the yeah. kids to go back to school and daycare. I think that'll just be a massive, uh, make a massive difference for everyone. So hopefully, oh, God, hopefully yeah. that's on the cards for us. Exactly. Yeah. I was speaking to a lady yesterday about a holiday booking and we were making it, you know, very sort of um, tentative but still getting that commitment that we would both talk about a holiday and also, you know, recognising her business needs as a, you know, small business business owner who mm. needs to sustain her business in regional Victoria. Yep. So very much, you know, understanding everyone's challenges and working with each other I think is the community yeah. benefit at the moment if we can do it. Yeah, so yeah. true, so true. And that, yeah. in that community aspect that you've mentioned there, I did see a great post um, from shout-out to Fiona McCutcheon for this one, but she put something up this morning around it being Are You OK Day, but actually one of the successes really or the benefits to come out of the last 18 months is we are actually really asking people a lot. You know, combos do start, you know, you and I, when we talk to each other in different conversations, we're like, really, how are you, Kat? Yes. You know, it's yeah. that's where you start and spend a lot of time on that rather than the typical surface-level answer, which used to be a lot of like, oh, yeah, you know, mine go-to would be like, yeah, great. You know, it didn't really matter what was going on, but that's kind of what you came out with. That game face that we all usually have is not really there anymore because we have interruptions with family. We also have, you know, connectivity interruptions. We're not in rooms together. 
Um, so there's lots of, I think, you know, sort of empathy needed for each other right now, as you're saying, Fiona. And I really love that kind of connection. I think if we can achieve that through distributed settings, it's valuable. And, you know, creating culture through connection is the way to go. Yeah. Uh, we've we've dived straight in here, so what I'm going to do is I'm like, right, I'm what I'm going to do for anybody who who hasn't had the awesome pleasure of meeting the fabulous Catherine Hills is just give just a very brief bio so people know a little bit more about who you are, and then we will actually dive into to a little bit of your backstory as well, which I think is always a great place to start. Um, so Catherine Hills is a highly experienced, and I'm also going to add in here, very well-respected strategic leader in the area of design, people, and practice, um, and within transformation strategy as well. So, she's got a lot of experience in capability strategies within large organisations and has done a lot of work. I'm going to dive into some of that experience and some of her war stories today around some of this as well. So capability strategy operations and enablement is where Kath spends a lot of her time as a design consultant. So Kath, tell us, how did you find yourself in this line of work? What's your background? Uh, I have a fairly traditional entry into design fee. So I came through um, actually a fine arts pathway. I, I started in design and I was very young when I entered into my design course. I loved writing. I loved critical theory. I loved um, design, the idea of design, but I hadn't actually formulated what, what design was to me in terms of interior practice at that point in time when I was 17. So I immersed myself in creativity, writing, trying to explore those spaces, building, building my skills up and actually had a studio space that I just run on my own with other people in a co-working art space for a while in Richmond, um, just down near the station, and um, spent some time there, entered into fine arts, ended up moving into um, contexts that were very site-specific or contextual mm-hmm. and involving some research on family histories, inserting that into my practice. And then moving into what would be called multimedia design at the time, interaction design um, qualifications. And very soon after that, I went overseas. Um, I met my daughter's father. I went over and travelled for a while. Um, I experienced Post.com in the UK, um, specifically in Glasgow and Edinburgh. And I did have a connection to that, that area because of my family and um, drove my family in the printing industry and then my early in the, in the 20th century. So it was really wonderful to reconnect culturally and also understand myself as an, Aust- an Australian from afar, like reflecting on our sort of nationhood now, our identity as an Australian as well, because um, at that time the internet was still, you know, building and we still felt like we were the arse end of the world in Australia, <laughs> less connected than we are now, um, less of a global community in that sense um, with very much real-time interactions like we're having today. And so that exploration I think was huge for a lot of people who came in in this in Australia who sought education and experiences overseas. So that was my my voyage and I moved into web design, web development, graphic design, um, traditional information architecture projects, 
the Disability Discrimination Act was hitting the UK and Europe at the time, so we were interacting with those requirements, um, did some great digital campaigns. And from that period, um, certainly the exploration was very strong for me in the digital design space. And what I noticed about all of the interactions I was having when I was working in consulting teams was that that client engagement was really huge. But what I wasn't getting close to was the were the people that we were serving through that client engagement, the customers and users of the products and systems and services we were designing. So that helped me kind of traverse into what we call user experience design today and my first official role in design, um, in user experience design, was actually at the University of Melbourne. Prior to that, I'd been working in front-end development as well, so I'd done a bit of engineering. And um, and since then, I've moved into research, I've moved into business design, I've been working across team leadership roles, and really just stimulated by the uh, factors of enablement, building capability, systems thinking, um, looking in, in, at employee engagement as well as the customer experience in most recent years. Wow. So it's been a fun journey and I'm sure that many people who've been in industry for, for a couple of decades have got similar stories with very mm-hmm. lots of little adventures through it's that cool. time. It's an incredible evolution coming from fine arts and to summarise fine arts, web design, UX design, now into the more strategic areas of design. I want to go a bit deeper into some of those more personal aspects of that journey for you and what that's meant. But I'm also curious as I hear that of of what you have seen over the last sort of 20-odd years about just the evolution of design itself, you know, and what, what... it has meant in terms of definition and adoption inside organisations? Like what do you think are the biggest changes that you have seen or even leaps in people's understanding and application of design? Uh, I think we were touching on this a little bit in our last conversation, Fee, and I think that it's such an interesting time right now for everyone. For design, it's beyond design, beyond the traditional design verticals that we were interacting in before, um, applying, uh, you know, um, system interaction skill sets in human-centred design and innovation practices into problems that weren't previously territories for designers. And um, these territories are fascinating. Some have massive social impact, some have business impact, some have um, smaller incremental impacts depending on the scale of the problems that you're solving and the wicked problems that you're addressing in businesses. Mm. Um, what I'm seeing is the scope for design um, being shared across many different people outside of the, the design profession. So design for me maybe five years ago, seven years ago, was about becoming the facilitator and the um, the creation of co-design um, enablement um, in, in that space of design. Mm. I was seeing that transition in my practice and as I was learning more about human-centred design um, techniques and participatory design and testing and learning and experimenting with different methodologies, I could see that there were a lot of opportunities for, opportunities for application both in my personal life, um, creating retros with my family, <laughs> right through to um, journey mapping my own my own career 
And um, I've actually um, gone through that process recently with a person called Max Hanley, who's written a book about career architecture, which um, I contributed to and also was a structural editor for. So very excited to see that released and um, massive hats off to Mags for getting that, um, you know, sort of release done and launched. She's um, a really amazing person to be friends with and people like her um, in the spaces that we interact in are definitely traversing across beyond design Mm -hmm. into the application of design into other spaces. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about this. Tell us about what Max and you have as well explored around using design techniques for the personal or in your personal life. What, what does the book cover? Uh, the book covers the trajectory of a design career and yeah. I've seen similar applications through other authors, um, Jeff Goffeld, um, around, you know, almost UXing yourself or creating a business model that's sustainable. Um, for yourself we've seen other people in industry um, looking at those spaces and territories and applying those product delivery and innovation skill sets and methodologies to personal career Mm. Um, so very much in that space for the work that Mags was doing and myself as part of her cohort Um, I think um, more broadly people are applying this into other course materials and learning Um, I've recently participated in a transition leadership lab with Susanna Carmen, which was fantastic, working with leaders across the um, systems change and design strategy spaces, um, working through shaping and understanding your so what and what Mm. that looks like in in your career, which is huge. And that can evolve. It doesn't have to be static, but it's very first principles in the now and and grounded in the now. With the help of reflexive thinking and um, embodiment of the integration of theory and bringing that all together into what you have to offer to the people you interact with within industry through your purpose and through your engagement. So quite a powerful shift. Um, I've been noticing those shifts and I actually just went to a, um, a really great last club um, free event this morning on human systems dynamics, mm. which was really cool, brought to us by um, Ahmed Avais. And he um, is part of a whole body of um, sort of knowledge um, for what he was presenting, mm. um, was associated with the body of knowledge in that HSD space, which is very closely aligned to action research, mm. human-centred design, strategic design. So all of those spaces and complex adaptive systems, um, which is something that I've been thinking about for a while, you know, these interact in such a powerful way. And I think that we've got this kind of convergence happening at the moment with the way we interact with those spaces and how we potentially can create transdisciplinary language around how we use this knowledge. And, and that, for me, is a huge opportunity that I identified in my work in the lab that I just was in, um, how to elaborate on that transdisciplinary behaviour and create spaces for design interaction, what we would see as design yeah. in um, spaces that are non-design. Mm-hmm. Can you give us any sort of really practical examples of some of the techniques that you've mentioned there? and how they could be applied by either in an individual, if you want to take the kind of career example, 
or even some of those business contexts? I think a lot of it comes down to um, personal practice, meeting with methods and and testing and learning. So I suppose, um, you know, we all understand that in the complex adaptive systems that we engage with, either as consultants or in-house workers in industry, we all, um, whether they're organisations or, you know, sort of public engagements with community yeah. groups, um, you know, we have complexity in those groups and we seek to understand in strategic design through, you know, using our empathy superpowers and, you know, testing ourselves and increasing the um, skills there to and the competency um, in applying that empathy into creating better communication and, you know, better ways of seeing through to the value exchange for all of the interactive actors in those systems Mm -hmm. to create better outcomes collectively and individually. And there is a tension there um, between the I and the we and how we how we actually interact as groups, you know, we all come to things with the worldview, beliefs, agendas potentially, you know, which may be collectively motivated or individualist, you know, in, in their motivation and intent. And there is definitely an opportunity, I feel, you know, for, um, you know, going slow to go fast space mm. to create um, an awareness of intent before we move forward. So, um, that's a that's a territory that we definitely interact with in innovation and yeah. and also in design for yeah. sure in change. Beautiful. So, just there was something really interesting that you mentioned there as well, Kath, around the work that Mags is doing um, and that you're collaborating with her on as well. So, to go into a bit more depth, is that? I'm not totally familiar with that work. And I think for anyone as well who's listening and their ears might have kind of pricked up, um, particularly if they're someone who's considering transitioning into design maybe at this point in their life. Um, And we know, you know, from everything that we're seeing out there, this is a massive time of people really looking for more impact and um, to make a bigger contribution in their work. And there's sort of this, you know, hearing a lot about this kind of great resignation going on as well, where people are really looking (laughs) for, you know, that big next move. And I I think as well, my hypothesis is at the moment, I think we might actually see um, a bigger transition of people into this line of work, you know, as a way to, create the kind of systemic impact that you were just talking about there to truly be able to affect, you know, you know, big outcomes from a social perspective or even just to be able to design something that somebody wants. So there's a lot of meaning we know in this work. So in the works that, um, the work that you've done with Mags, what is, what is, is there sort of an overarching framework? Is it about how people navigate a design career? Is it about finding your way into it? Is it about designing your life? Can you tell us a little bit about it? It's a bit of everything. It's very holistic. Um, Mags has created a structure for design careers and she's also created almost like an example of a journey map to her own experiences and she's incorporated all of the factors that come into what we know really impacts on people's careers, which can be career opportunities, career decision-making, and it can also be 
health, it can be family, it can be stage in life, it can be desire for change. So she's she's built this all all of this into her um, wonderful book, Career Architecture, and um, she just launched a few, launched a few days ago actually, and um, it's so exciting to see because um, Peter Merholtz, who who wrote Org Design for Design Orgs, he's written the introduction. And Mags and I were discussing that and the endorsement of the work, but also the adjacent value of the work that she's created because the work that she's covered um, or the topics that she's covered are not covered in in Peter and I think it's Kirsten Skinner's um, publication. So, Kirsten or Kristen? So, uh, I believe, um, you know, there's a lot of complementary content there that will be really useful for people at any level of entry into the career profession of design and also a lot of knowledge to be shared there around how to accelerate into those spaces and to make choices that are right for you. Um, I saw that she was she was actually um, in a on a podcast just recently where she was talking about some career choices being like, you know, sort of um, a rebound boyfriend and I had a real giggle <laughs> because I thought no one wants to admit that and... Also, Mags talks about the lack of um, linear dire- direction in, in the way we see careers. And we all know that when we get to a certain level, level of maturity, it isn't always linear. Mm-hmm. So having that acknowledged in, in the book and making it safe for people to make change that makes sense to them is really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. I can actually see yeah, so many crossovers with work that people are doing in this area in this space as well I think you know through design and through even the future of work and what we expect future careers to be you know the changes in traditional careers and the nine-to-five jobs so yeah there's a lot of sounds really interesting yeah Um, can we I'd love to explore a little bit about you know within your career as well Kath you've had a number of leadership roles um, and from a personal perspective, I've, I've heard about your leadership style and it tends to get glowing reviews from everything that I have heard as well. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, and I think it's not, I mean, not that it's, you know, leadership is harder in design. That's not a, not a thing at all. But I'm just curious about, you know, what, what is your, does, uh, your leadership philosophy? What is your leadership philosophy or style of leadership? Um, and how how do you shape the people that are working with you? Uh, very much part of my journey um, recently is to be able to articulate what that is, and, and that's beyond just the typical dialogue around servant leadership, you know, empathy-led leadership. And um, I suppose um, there is an interaction, I think, in any leadership um, style with power and also with love for me. <laughs> And that sounds very 70s um, or maybe even 60s. Wow, how that's that's not what I mean. Um, but it is interacting with those spaces of servant leadership and um, and also empathy and compassion. Um, my, my core values are all around compassion, creativity, kindness, curiosity. Um, I care about building capabilities and I care about enablement and also that sort of sense of embedding learning and doing is just a very sort of intrinsic way of working in agile cultures, um, humanist cultures, 
when we applied that humanism to technology and other practices, um, practice areas, or, you know, it could be non-technology as well. How do we become humanists in the way we work together and, and how do we recognise each other and see each other for who we are but also bring to the table a collective view of where we want to get to? And, and that's very much, you know, for me, it's about the strategy of engagement, the strategy of support for design, the strategy of um, building confidence for designers. Um, for me, I, I didn't have a lot of exposure to great immediate great design leaders. I just read books. I was often the design team of one. I um, gradually built my knowledge that way and I learnt from leaders who are not designers. So for me, it was very much around um, how do I learn about how to be a great leader? Where do I see that great leadership? And for me, great leaders are transparent. They guide, they can direct, but they can also listen. And that listening culture is so popular in terms of what we hear about today in HBR and Forbes and <laughs> everywhere else. But um, I think there's still a tension there. People are struggling with that transition um, to some degree in some places and, and people who naturally attune to different styles may not see it as a style for them. Um, so I definitely find that my style is appreciated by many designers and I know that I have when I've had the agency to direct I've actually um, really enjoyed that too because you know the enablement of having a say in an organization around strategy or having a say around business model in that strategy or the employee experience um, is always you know naturally um, important to any functional representation within these organisations or through the consulting that you're doing. Yeah. Um, so often there's that kind of building of capability built into my, my style. Mm. And being a bridge in some respects, like how do you see yourself in that sort of role, you know, of, of, of having the back of the design team, you know, and supporting them, being the voice for the design team at the same time as serving the needs of the business. And I presume as well, you know, sometimes and we've, we've talked about this, you know, offline, you know, there's there's that role of almost being the translator yes. <laughs> between the two sometimes as the leader. How do, how do you balance that tension and any examples you can give us of, of where you have to do that maybe and it's been pretty challenging? Well, you know, as leaders, that we're not always expected to give the good news. And I think, you know, in design teams and design practices, um, it's often important to feel popular for many people. Um, so there is a distancing and um, transition to leadership that has to happen for any design leader um, to be able to understand the business and to create healthy boundaries between, you know, sort of the culture that you want to bring and see and you know, see emerge from your team, um, you know, um, based on the team's needs and the cultural needs of the organisation, but also that kind of friction between managing expectations generation, generationally based on experience in industry and their own beliefs and mental models around how they're effective in design and the tension between that and the business goals. Yeah. Um, so very much having to, I think, use standard frameworks to articulate business value, you know, customer value, feasibility, you know, having those sort of lenses on conversations to help train 
that thinking and embed that thinking into the teams is important. I think that that's become more common knowledge than it was a while ago. And so people are adjusting. And I guess on the other side is the um, perceived evangelism of the design leader and how the design leader should be out there, you know, sort of, you know, all bells and whistles talking about design, you know, saying, hey, design deserves a seat at the table. You need me here. This is why I'm here. Let me tell you. Uh, But there's also that aspect of listening that designers still need to make happen through their leadership. So for me, it's very much been about when to switch into that evangelist mode and when to listen and hear and actually work with the leaders to create change and, you know, the old consulting approach around how can I help you, how can I make you successful, um, that influencing piece is really key to that. Mm. How far do you think we've come with the design evangelist? When you've worked across quite a few organisations, some, you know, some design agencies more recently as well and some other organisations that understand design, maybe some in the past where... They were in the, you know, in the early stages of bringing design in as a practice into organisations. If you think about over that spectrum of the five years that you just spoke about, does does design need as much of that evangelising as it used to or are we getting closer to it, becoming more understood maybe at the C-suite and board level? I think we're getting closer. I think there's there are more mature designers or you know, sort of mid-career designers uh, showing interest in business um, credentials, creating knowledge around, um, you know, their their own, um, I suppose, credibility in those business conversations. And I think that's healthy. I do think that there's a flip side to that where, um, you know, designers are asked to speak business language but perhaps the business isn't asked to speak design language. So there is that counteraction there around what I see is um, what is what is a fair playing field for us all. And um, so I do see attention there. I, I, I see a lot of seats at the table, but there's a lot of conjecture around success, high levels of criticism of design functions, high levels of criticism of individuals in design and stereotyping of people in the spaces that we work in. And I find that really interesting. You know, there is a personality diversity in every single field and we have people who are deep experts, people who might be less self-reflective than others, people who are more self-reflective, people who listen well, people who don't. And, um, you know, I find that design's often, um, often up for, you know, sort of that kind of stereotyped um, sort of, response, uh, just like any other function, most likely. So I think it is a challenge um, in terms of business maturity and and creating those relationships that designers see past, you know, their own agendas into the agenda of the collective. And I've spoken about this often with people like Dan Zook and Joe Wong in the Make Meaningful um, work that they're, meaningful work that they're doing and, and research that they're doing. I participated in a dinner and organised something for them in Melbourne a few years ago. And I think that the work that they're doing is really interesting, interacts really strongly with the action research spaces that I've been in recently um, and also the agile communities that I'm part of, systems thinking, strategy communities. (laughs) 
we're all thinking about similar things because, um, you know, we're we're receiving resist, resistance to change, and um, you know, we're also trying to move with the people that we're working with. So it's it it requires awareness, and one thing for me that I've discovered is really just understanding how to manage yourself through that those conversations in, in the five years that I've been a leader. Sometimes I may not be bringing the kind of leadership that the business is ready for and I've learned to slow down and um, I think earlier in my my um, human-centred design phase of my journey, which is still still current, um, I, you know, in the last 10 years I thought and I think a lot of designers in the human-centred design space, particularly in technology, thought you had to go in and really go for it. And what I'm saying is, you know, just like anything, you pick your battles and work out where the value is and what you need to fight for and less of fighting the good fight and fighting the fight for everyone, you know, and and that's kind of um, where I think we could improve. So as a leader, I work on myself in that space and I think, well, how can I be a better listener? How can I improve? And also where do I need to trust myself? you know, because I have experience and I know what I'm I'm, I'm talking about. <laughs> but also where do I where do I want to accept that I don't know enough and how can I have people help me there? Yeah. What do you mean by that where you've been in places where they weren't ready for your style of leadership? What's happened? Uh, well, I guess um, one organisation, very conservative, um, it was actually a mixture of factors. So brought in um, having worked with them as a consultant previously, so very very much a fast-tracked entry, um, finding out that someone who had very strong connections into the LT wasn't happy with me changing things. Um, you know, my style of leadership is very empathetic, compassionate, but also about helping. Mm. Um, this individual was more about... Um, my way or the highway in control, command and control. And I think I was being received well by some of the team and maybe not by others who were co-located with him. And I was told that I was more evolved mm. <laughs> than the culture. So people saw me. I was connecting our functions and getting everyone to work together, um, exposing data to kickoffs that people had never seen before and were truly emotional to have in front of them to be empowered in their decision making. And I think that it just was really difficult difficult for a couple of people who had been with the organisation for a long time and like to have more control and less disclosure with their teams. So um, probably that style didn't work for those individuals. <laughs> However, I know that it did work for many other people. So I think... It was a mutually sort of agreeable exit for that one. And I was I was very, you know, sad that it didn't work out, but I was also okay with it. <laughs> so I think that sometimes you just need to accept that no matter how much you like to you, you see seek to actually understand the culture in an organization mm. and how they understand you in the recruitment and hiring process that you do. Even no matter how much you interview the potential employer, um, yeah. it may not be the right one for you. So, mm. yeah. 
That's a good one. Thanks for sharing that. That's okay. It's it's really like it's a topic I think about a lot of just observing different styles of leaderships, leadership, sorry, and leaders, you know, where you have a leader, which it does sound like the side that you're on, you know, the leader whose team loves them, you know, and adores them and then the challenge is also, you know, they're working with the executive or the LT, which it still seems like there's that's working in that tension. But I always wonder whether, you know, is there a trade-off? You know what I mean? Like there's there's those kind of leaders who would much prefer to just be well-respected in the exec or within the LT and be getting, you know, rather than yes. deeply connecting with the team that they're leading and thinking about opportunities for that team themselves. So, yeah, more a comment than a question but just something I think yes. about a lot it's really interesting to share there it's a very interesting tension between job satisfaction cohesion employee engagement yeah you know, and getting that right um and and I think it's an exploration I think it's it's also a long game it's not yeah. a short game it's it's something that you can maybe create conditions for very quickly mm. but there has to be a readiness and receptivity in the organization and the teams that you're leading to create that space for that change. And I definitely don't think you should go in and judge um, an organisation, you know, within five minutes. Um, I'm pretty good at picking up on patterns and creating Mm. ideas around where I might think things are heading. But what I definitely don't think is good is to go in and, and, you know, sort of... um, create assumptions just like you wouldn't you, you wouldn't create assumptions um and deliver on those assumptions without understanding the yeah. territories you know with customers so why would you do that with the people that you're working with um unless you have a really strong directive from your executive or ceo tier um you know the c level that you need to do it and that's part of your mission and your yeah. agenda yeah. which that's i've had happen to me too i've had that too mm. so yeah. But I love that, like it's almost that's like a design-led approach to leadership that we're talking about. Get a little <laughs> bit meta, but you know, yes. it's like it's going in and it's observing, you know, what is going to be required, like what kind of leadership or what even you know what sort of strategic moves are going to be required early on in order to make this work. You know, is this a team that needs repairing? You know, is this a team that that where the communication's completely failing? You know, what are sort of some of the things that you need to to work on and in what order for this team to be successful and then then thinking about it elsewhere? So it's yeah, it's a clever approach. I want to just stay on leadership for a little bit longer if we can, and then um, just one more question, and then we can jump onto some of these other great topics from your intro as well. So love and power, love that. So you mentioned it and then we went into empathy and sort of servant leadership and some of these other things, but I love love and power. Um, So when it comes to, you know, teams that you're working with, you know, how and even at the individual level, like how do you use those two principles in the way that, you know, you give advice or you guide or any of those sorts of things when it comes to design? Well, I think uh, we're tapping into people's motivations and, you know, that that needs analysis that you undertake with anyone that you are seeking to be assisted by um, needs to happen. 
So you need to, you need to understand what drives them as an individual and and as a leader respond to those needs, but also assess um, the collective nature of those needs and you know the priorities and everything else um, for that capability area that you're leading, or it could be multiple, and work out the motivating factors for success for these individuals and how you can wrap that into the work that they do on a daily basis and make that meaningful for them. And I guess um, I've come from a lot of really strong feedback cultures and um, cultures that have invested a lot in people and culture frameworks for development and I've been exposed to many. So understanding um, the nature of those frameworks and, you know, the data collection that you're actually um, gaining insights from from the team and understanding how to guide them and you know it could be um, at an individual level or it could be at a team level and actually creating space for those trade-off calls so people have agency around those choices um, I think for me um, that's certainly the best way to be guided is to have agency but at the same time you still need a bit of steering to know that you're on the right path with you, your employer or the people that you're serving through your work um, so I guess um, that it's just pulling on those levers and having that kind of cycle time with communication. And also, uh, I suppose, um, working out sort of, you know, when, when you have to tell the hard truths, you know, there might be someone who really wants to learn about something, but that future won't happen in the short term for them within the capability offering that you have potentially or the services that you're actually supporting through your business. And Actually saying, okay, look, do, do I have the generosity as a leader and a mentor um, or a coach to provide them with the support and frameworks to be successful in their current role or environment, but still make space for that new future that they might have without you or that organisation. So, um, you know, I'm very much about not feeling deflated if people leave teams um, because there's always that kind of, you know, cycle of, of attrition and retention and new um, engagement. So, and we know that through the work that we do. So I think, um, you know, the best friend that I can be through that love and power piece is actually to help people through that pathway and also to understand the value of their careers when they're interacting with me. So, um, very much in, in that teaching space and sort of education and capability space and sort of also saying, have you thought about this or this is perfect for you, absolutely, or you need to diversify, you need to strengthen, you know, having those conversations early and often. Um, and I don't know if that answered the question. Phase, it really but. answers the question. I think like really practical examples there but also, you know, some of your own philosophy and the learnings as well that you've brought in from just applying different techniques. So I really like that. It also just resonated with me on a personal level as well because we just went through that exact scenario where one of our team who's been with us for a couple of years and has really, um, you know, had told us that she was really keen to learn about futures thinking and was pushing for it for around 12 months within our work and it definitely is something that's relevant to what we do. Um, systems thinking is another one. We've spoken about that. But, you know, being an agency of the size that we're at, while, you know, you can sometimes apply some of these techniques, you have to be very specific around positioning and specification. And that's a journey that we've really been on. 
So it was about that conversation of, okay, well, we want to do this, but it's not like we can't like, uh, is this the place where you're going to be able to get that learning? Um, and we were able to come to a great, by kind of letting go, which I love you've sort of said that. And it wasn't easy, like I have to admit, like from a personal perspective, I was a bit like, oh, you know, we're going to lose this person and, you know, what does this mean? But like through conversations and um, some of her own work going out and finding out where she could learn this, she's now doing a day with another cooperative organisation and then the rest of her days with us. So he's bringing some of that future's experience back into the organisation and kind of gets to scratch that itch. But, you know, we sort of see the benefit of it on this side um, and, you know, vice versa. I'm sure they're, you know, they're receiving some of that. So it's about having that attitude of you don't own people. No. You know? And if you no. do try to own them, <laughs> you know, that's where it's really going to backfire. And, you know, it is... You know, I was joking about it with a friend, you know, when when sometimes like when when someone in your team tells you they're going to leave, it's like your husband telling you he wants to just go off and sleep with somebody else for a little bit and come back. Yes, you know, yeah. it's like there's a little it's part like a of break up. Yeah, like is there yeah, not a, you know, yeah. whatever, can we not give you everything? But I yeah. think by it's, it's a level of maturity as a leader that you have to come to, especially, and I do actually think it is particularly within this industry, because, you know, you, and as a small size, you can't be everything and you can't have all of those disciplines in one place. So if you do want people that are, are well-rounded and are not just putting things on their LinkedIn profile saying that this is something that they do, but truly going and getting the experience, you have to be prepared to maybe let them go and get that. Yeah, and it's an act of love to go, yeah. hey, you know, if you love them, like, let them go because yeah. that that is their path. And I think... All of the leaders who I've had who, as managers or leaders who've supported me, mm. who've given me that sort of go with grace and support, you know, I've always remembered them and mm. thought, thank you. Thank you for supporting me. Mm. <laughs> um, but also it's that kind of right-sizing, the, you know, like a product market fit, the right-sizing of the person to the role and their journey. And I know that um, for me there was a lot of right-sizing thinking around my career decisions um, was around um, thinking, you know, is this what I need to learn right now? Is this actually where design is heading? You know, am I in the right space? I feel more curious about this right now and I don't think I can learn it here or people don't see design that way in this organisation. So how can I actually learn and how can I do this? You know, because as we know, it's just expanding. Like, the, the you know, it's beyond design, how we were talking about that the other day. And, you know, just that sort of land beyond design. Mm-hmm. What does that look like for designers? And it's not about, you know, sort of the um, singularity when the computers take over the world. It's, it's, <laughs> it's about, it's about um, you know, sort of what It that might looks be. Like. I think you might be at the forefront of that given all your background. <laughs> 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 if we are going to be cyborgs, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm. well, you know, that. We were talking, I was talking last night with my partner about having a chip implanted and I know Kayla Heffernan who's done a PhD in that space around, um, you know, implantable technology and um, it's very interesting um, and the William Gibson cyborgs literature um, that I'm going to read at some point. Um, <laughs> I just, you know, that, that sense so, for me, the human yeah. system is so complex mm. in its own way and... You know, do we, it's like the environment, you know, it's out of balance. How do we reset it? Yeah. And, you know, 
Yes. Tell us what you're excited about. I'd love to look because this is getting on to some of these future questions I'm keen to explore a little bit about. You know, we've talked about this amazing rich design background that you've come from and some leadership themes and also sort of where we're seeing design in organisations. You've talked about systems thinking a little bit or using systems in design and the importance of that. Like where do you see the direct question is really where do you see the big growth areas when it comes to design? Like what's the big opportunity that you think is we're going to see in the next few years? Uh, I think from a practice perspective, it's improving self-awareness and practising self-awareness and awareness of others through the work. Um, I think that there's this huge sort of shift that we need to create in industry across many different professional disciplines to create space for that because there's so much cognitive load with the complex adaptive systems that we're interacting with and um, lack of um, competency in systems thinking and understanding of how to actually address complex problems. Um, so there, there's a huge um, scale effort, I think, there to equip people with the right theory or theoretical understanding or practical understanding of that theory to apply frameworks that actually make sense that we do have some of now um, that actually you know, make that open to more people to use. So um, people can more effectively come together and have outcomes that are positive and also um, lower the fatigue factors in the decision-making processes that we see all the time. So it's never going to be perfect and I think we have to be comfortable with that complexity and chaos and um, I think often design is seen as a chaotic field because of the way we work and the creativity that's embedded in the work that we do and our comfort with that exploration space. Whereas um, maybe, you know, some fields are more comfortable with the structural and the evidence-based um, learning, which we've attached to design. But, um, you know, sort of we still need to be creative as humans. So I think, um, you know, that that whole interaction is really interesting to me um, around this space right now. And also I think um, something really interesting that I wanted to share with you was um, actually from a woman that I was peer coaching with, um, a lady called Barbara, and um, she's working with First Nations communities um, up in New South Wales and I was in the Transition Leadership Lab with her and she was telling me how systems thinking is actually embedded in our First Nations communities thinking. And I was asking her, how can we learn from the First Nations peoples, not just about how to treat country, but through that learning, how do we apply systems thinking into our own culture? Um, and we're still discussing it. So I think that there is a huge amount to learn um, from those communities and, and understanding how to translate um, you know, First Nations cultural thinking into Australia's modern contemporary thought processes and the way we engage as a society. So that that is a big question. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. What was she talking about? What are sort of some of the is it sort of some of the, the cultural aspects of Indigenous communities traditionally or things that are happening now or what's the... Well, I think, you know, just um, look, it's we've only just touched the surface and I've just read a book about First Nations design, um, which was really interesting as well um, around architecture. Uh, but I think the, um, the insights that she shared with us on the day and when we talked about it were to do with the old ways and um, 
ways of interacting as communities, um, you know, in a less concrete manner, like the sustainable practices that they applied to country are actually, you know, sort of very translatable to complex adaptive systems theory and um, how we interact with the land, conditions around us, changing nature, natural patterns, you know, applying change. So it could be through, you know, sort of fire controlled fire methodologies, um, you know, controlling the way the um, structures that are built to support shelter um, degrade over time, um, how sustainable those practices are. Um, so very much I'm not an expert I'm learning about it now, but I, I think that it's a huge opportunity for Australians to learn about um, how we can think differently about our land and the way we interact as people. And um, so that, that for me was very interesting and I think, you know, we've had a holding pattern in design, you know, sort of thinking about European and American and Northern Hemisphere thinking, you know, and, you know, it's it's so important to have that integration of multiple ethnicities and cultures in the way we see the world because we are a global, a global family. So, um, and as we become more distributed through this pandemic and interact with more people from different cultures and geographies, why not learn more about their ways of thinking and seeing the world. Um, we talk about that in technology design as localisation and internationalisation, but it's usually around revenue and <laughs> optimising experiences for those geographies or being more culturally aware, you know, in the human-centred design space and how to be more culturally um, sort of sensitive and co-design with these cultures to, you know, make sure that we come up with solutions that make sense to everyone who's a participant in the consumption of those services and interactions. So I think it's just a um, fascinating opportunity and it shouldn't just be the human-centred design community or strategic design community who think about yeah. it. It should be everyone. But yeah. it takes time, doesn't it, because we can mm -hmm. see the polarity in our political landscape here in Australia. We can see why that's a difficult thing. Yeah. That's such a great last thought actually to leave us on there. I love that idea of it, you know, thinking about the local aspects of design because you're right, so frequently we try to look, it's just that natural kind of impulse, isn't it, in Australia and which has almost brought us full circle because it's where you started. We think about ourselves as this little outpost, you know, out back <laughs> yes. and beyond and it's kind of what are all the what are all of these clever people do in Europe and the US and um, I feel like we even do that too. We have a tendency to do that and try and find our trends Let's look at the Scandinavians. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 what are the yeah, Scandinavians doing? What's yeah. happening over there? Rather yeah. than, you know, maybe there are some lessons right here that are in front of us. So, um, yeah, I love that as a parting thought as well, Kath. Thank you so much for a really, truly generous interview. We've covered a lot of ground in this conversation as well. So hopefully this has given people a lot of food for thought and we will do our best to gather up the links of all of the incredible people that you've mentioned as well because this you are should actually be in your bio up front, but you are um, a force to be reckoned with when it comes to the design community as well. You know, you're very generous in your involvement in different groups and sharing knowledge between groups, which is what has really, um, you know, you've demonstrated today as well. So we'll grab some of the links from the books and resources and speakers and um, other people that you've mentioned because I've no doubt, you know, for people who are really geeking out on this one, they're going to want to go deep on some of these topics as well. So thanks, Fiona.
Thanks, Toby. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Well, to be continued. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Thanks, Kat. See you. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye.